I love how our worship team includes the next generation. Isn't that great? I hope I can read as well as she does. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 through 28. I'll be reading from the NIV. I consider that our present suffering, sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When I'm not somebody I believe in Hold on to me When I miss the light The night is stolen When I'm slamming all the doors you've opened Hold on to me Hold on to me Hold on to me when it's too dark to see you. When I am sure I have reached the end. Hold on to me when I forget I need you. When I let go, hold me again. When I don't feel like I'm worth defending When I'm tired of my pretending Hold on to me When I start to break in desperation Underneath the weight of expectation Hold on to me Hold on to me Hold on to me when it's too dark to see you When I am sure I have reached the end Hold on to me I need you when I let go. Oh. 
Cause I know nobody loves me better. Hold on to me. Hold on to me. Thank you, Wendy. If you take your Bibles and turn back to Romans 8, if uh, you have closed your Bibles since David read, Romans chapter 8. I remember when we were a young married couple and Janine's parents would come and visit us. I could never understand why at one point Janine's dad would say, Madrine, we need to leave. We have to get home before it's dark. could never understand that. Now I do. <laughs> I'm noticing it's a lot harder as I get older to drive at night when it's dark. Tuesday night we were in Hibbing and we came back after dark. And the whole way I was struggling with headlights and street lights. It was very difficult. And then, to reinforce that, yesterday in the newspaper there was this comic. It's an elderly husband and wife sitting in a car and it's dark. And the husband says, my night vision must be getting worse. I have no idea where we are. I can't even see any streetlights. Dear, his wife says, we're still in the garage. <laughs> but seriously, you know, I've, I've noticed that when younger, we tend to talk about our bodies. And uh, we talk about how our bodies look, and we talk about what we're doing to keep our bodies looking good. We talk about the clothes that we're buying to put on our bodies, just the right clothes. Um, sometimes we talk about our exercising, and uh, we talk about our makeup, and we talk about our bodies. And then when older... We still talk about our bodies, but we talk about the aches and the pains and uh, how hard it is to get up and get our bodies going and all our doctor visits, right? Someone has said this, as the years go by, Living in these bodies becomes more difficult and it becomes more strenuous, even more painful. That the chronic pain and ongoing health issues are just hostile, disruptive, unwelcomed intruders. And they torment, mock, and rob us of our rest, peace, and the ability to function freely. 
What a downer, huh? But you know, there's, there's a lot of truth to that, and many of us are experiencing that, right? Uh, these bodies that God has given us, these bodies that we live in, uh, they don't tend to get better as the years go by. Um, the aches and the pains, they, they tend to start showing up. And uh, today I want us to talk about that. Because Romans 8 talks about it. And eventually the passage, as you notice, comes to our subject in this series we're doing, the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that? The Holy Spirit is in this passage. It's very possible that some of you have shown up today and you are struggling with some of those aches and some of those pains. In fact, you might be struggling with chronic pain. It's there all the time. You live with it. You might be here this morning and you have some kind of ongoing illness. It just seems to never go away. Always having to deal with it. And it's frustrating. And you do have to see the doctor a lot. And you're tired of it. Especially when the doctor can't figure out what's wrong. And so if you're here today, and that would be you, you're in the right place. This message of Romans 8 is for you. So uh, if you would stand, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to see what the Apostle Paul says to us on this subject. Our Father, we stand before you and we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the truth of it because it is your word. We give you thanks because your word covers so many of the life situations that we find ourselves living in. And Father, we thank you for the bodies that you have given us. You created us. You created these bodies. And yet, Lord, as time goes on, and and sometimes not even many years, we begin to experience the truth of these bodies, that they are temporary, and they wear out, and they age, and they hurt, and they become ill. And Father, thank you that you have something to say about that. And may the truth that we see in Romans 8 encourage us and increase our hope today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In Romans chapter 8, in this passage that was read for us, verses 18 to 28, first of all, Paul talks about creation. You notice that. Then he moves into talking about us, the children of God, the believers. And then he concludes by talking about the Holy Spirit. So we have creation, we as believers, the Holy Spirit, as we follow this text. Let me just draw your attention to the three verses before our passage. 
In verse 15, Paul reminds the Christians at Rome that they have received the Holy Spirit. When they trusted Christ for salvation, they have received the Holy Spirit. And we've already talked about that in this series, about receiving the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us as people of God. And we receive that Spirit when we trusted Christ for salvation. He goes on, and he says that as children of God, we are heirs of God. We have an inheritance. We're not only heirs of God, but we're co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus in the family of God. And then in verse 17, he talks about two things that go along with being a child of God, being an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus. The first is suffering. You see, Jesus suffered in this world, didn't he? He suffered physically. But then he went to glory. Back to the right hand of the Father. Back to the glory that he had set aside. So Jesus experienced suffering here in this world And now he's experiencing again the glory in the presence of the Father. And Paul says in verse 17, in the same way as his people, as heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, in this world we suffer. We will experience suffering. And many of us have and are and will but also as the children of God and joint heirs with Christ, he says we will experience glory. So there's a present suffering and there is a future glory that go along with being the children of God. Then we come to verse 18. And it looks like what Paul does is he He makes an opening statement, and then he goes on to share details about that. The opening statement is, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. He's just said that as the children of God, we will suffer in this world. We'll experience that. But then we're going to experience glory. And he says in verse 18, that present suffering cannot be compared at all to the future glory that will one day be our experience. There there is no comparison. You can't even try to compare it. They are so far apart, the present suffering and the future glory. We not even try to think there's some kind of comparison. They are so different. But we experience both. Present suffering now, future glory coming. And it's real. The present suffering is real. The future glory is real. And now he goes on to kind of take that apart and present that opening statement to us in detail. So we know what he means. First he talks about creation. 
Starting in verse 19, notice uh, the creation. And here's some things he says about creation. In verse 19, he says, creation waits in eager expectation. Creation is eagerly waiting for something. Eager expectation. And and the Greek word there uh, refers to the idea of standing on your tiptoes, leaning forward in anticipation. It's the idea of being on the edge of your seat, eagerly looking forward to something. And he's saying that creation is experiencing that. Creation is waiting in eager expectation. What are, what are the different parts of creation eagerly waiting for? What are they expecting? Well, he says the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Creation is eagerly waiting for the children of God to be revealed. What does that mean? We'll find out a little later when he talks about the children of God. But for now, we learn that creation waits in eager expectation. He goes on in verse 20, and he says, creation was subjected to frustration. Now we're beginning to find out what's going on here. He says in verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. When was creation subjected to frustration? Well, I think we can go back to Genesis 3. We're not going to, but do that sometime. Go back to Genesis 3. And when you look at that account of sin coming into the world, and you have curses, you have corruption that takes place because of sin coming into the world. Part of the curse had to do with creation. You remember that? There were going to be thistles and weeds and, and creation wasn't going to cooperate with man. And uh, Even creation dies. In fact, Paul goes on and says a third thing in verse 21 that creation is in bondage to decay. You see that? It's in bondage to decay. And you think about that. It really is. It's in bondage to decay. I cut up a dead tree yesterday. The tree decayed and died. My grass has been brown most of the summer. I'd call that decay. Paul says creation is in bondage to decay. Sin coming into the world even impacted the creation, corrupted it, caused it to experience decay, decomposing, not being exactly what it was intended to be, but going the other direction. And it was because sin came into the world. And so he says, in this condition, 
The next thing, creation groans. See that? Creation groans. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation has always been growing in this bondage to decay, in this frustration that was brought because of sin coming into the world and impacting it. And so creation groans. Let me just toss this out. Could it be that earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and brown grass and dying trees and all those things are signs of creation groaning? Creation is beautiful. Creation is amazing. We all enjoy it. But it is not what it was at the beginning. Can you imagine what creation would be like if sin hadn't come into the world and impacted it? Creation is groaning. Just like a woman in childbirth, Paul says, waiting for delivery. And that's really what he says. He says, we know in verse 22 that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In verse 21, it says, it's looking for that glorious freedom of the children of God. It's looking for that time when the children of God will be revealed. Creation is looking forward to a certain time when it will be free from bondage to decay. When it can stop groaning and be the creation that it started out to be. Totally free to be what God created it to be. And creation is groaning, waiting for that time. Then he moves into talking about us, the children of God. Verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we as the children of God have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We've been studying that. And here the Holy Spirit is called the first fruit. And in Ephesians chapter 1, 13, 14, we see what that's all about. Maybe you want to take a look at that. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. We've looked at it a couple times on Sundays and Wednesdays in this series. But in Ephesians 1, 13... Paul says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So Paul says there that the Holy Spirit was given to us when we believed, and he is a guarantee that there's more to come. He's the down payment. He is the first fruit. The gift of the Holy Spirit has been given to God's people, but he is just the down payment. There's more to come. He's the first fruit. And because we have the Spirit, we know there's more to come. 
And so Paul says, as children of God, we have the Holy Spirit, the first fruit, the guarantee that there's more to come. But he says, we groan. So creation groans, but we groan. Verse 23. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So what is this revealing of the children of God that creation is looking forward to? What is this freedom, this deliverance that creation is looking forward to? What is this adoption to sonship that is mentioned? Well, the next phrase answers that question. The redemption of our bodies. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what creation is looking forward to. The redemption of the bodies of the children of God. And we groan until that happens. You see, the day is coming and you have some scriptures on that little square to the right on your sheet that talk about this. This future hope in the next verse, Paul calls it a hope that we have through salvation. The redemption of our bodies. Uh, Let's actually just look at two of them. And I'll trust you to look at the others. Uh, Philippians 3. Philippians 3. Notice the last verses of that chapter. Philippians 3.20. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Friends, that is the redemption of the body. The day is coming when these bodies we live in will be resurrected and changed into the likeness of Christ's glorious body. The redeeming, the freeing of our bodies. New bodies that will be like the body of Christ, the resurrected body of Christ. And then another one, 2 Corinthians, may not be on your sheet, so you can add this one, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. First verse on through verse 5. 2 Corinthians 5.1 Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in, that's our body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, another body, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we what? We groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, this physical body, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, our new body, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, it is God who has made us for this very purpose. 
and has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Paul said in Ephesians, you receive the spirit, you receive with the spirit, and he is the guarantee of what's to come. And he says it again here to the Corinthians. You have been given the spirit and he is a guarantee that this will happen. And what's he talking about in 2 Corinthians 5? The receiving of a new body. In this body we live in, we groan, right? Anybody groaned lately because of this body? I have. I've grown a lot. Not grown, G-R-O-W-N. I've groaned a lot, O-A-N, in the last years because of this body. And most of us know what that's like. We groan because we're looking forward to the redemption of this body. And creation is groaning because it's been impacted by sin, just like our bodies. And it's eagerly awaiting the time when we will receive our new bodies because then it, creation, will no longer be impacted by sin. It will be free to be all that it was created to be. But that happens to creation when we are resurrected and receive our new bodies. But for now, we groan in this body. But we have a hope. We have that future hope, and that's what he talks about in verse 24. He says, for in this hope, this hope of our bodies being redeemed, the new bodies, receiving that, he says, in this hope we were saved. That's part of our salvation. That's part of the hope that comes with salvation in Jesus, is the hope of one day, our bodies being redeemed, freed from corruption and the influence of sin. That's our hope. So he says, but hope that is seen is no hope at all, right? I mean, if something is a reality, you don't hope for it, it's there. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? And here's a very important statement. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We hope for what we do not yet have. In the context, what do we not yet have? The redemption of our bodies. I don't have the new body that is free from the influence of sin and that is in the likeness of Jesus' resurrected body. Do you? It's our hope, right? It's our future hope. It's what God has waiting for us. The redemption of our body. But Paul very clearly says, we do not yet have it. We have the redemption of our souls, right? We've been delivered from sin. We've been forgiven. Sin is no longer in control. We've been redeemed. 
But Paul says we do not yet have the redemption of our body. That's our future hope. Almost all of you know who Johnny Erickson Tata is. She was paralyzed, became a quadriplegic as a 17-year-old in a diving accident. She's probably in her 70s today. She's been in a wheelchair all her life. She paints beautifully, but with her mouth, she can't use her hands. She has a tremendous ministry. Uh, we could go on. And, and the books I've read that she's written are so much better on suffering and pain than anything I've read by theologians. But here's something she wrote in a, in a book that she wrote in about 2009. So that means she was 50s, maybe. She says, no matter how great our faith or fervent our prayers, there will be times, perhaps many times, when our plea for health and healing will be answered with a no. She's been praying for decades, and she's still in the wheelchair, praying for healing. People have prayed for her healing. And in his wisdom, God has chosen to keep answering no to that specific prayer. And that's what she's talking about. And she had to deal with that, by the way. If you've read any of her other books, that was hard for her. She had to deal with that, but she has. She says, but not everyone agrees with this. A couple of years ago, so this would be 2007 then, I agreed to be a guest on a show hosted by a well-known Christian television personality. After a number of minutes of carefully sharing my views on healing and God's will, the host turned to the camera and said, Brothers and sisters, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be duped by Satan in these matters. Healing is promised in God's word, and it really all boils down to a matter of your faith. She goes on to say, by implication, he was telling a national television audience that the reason I sat there beside him in a wheelchair was because I didn't have faith, or at least not enough. I was stung by those unexpected remarks, and I felt my face growing hot with hurt and indignation. It was all I could do to wait for a commercial break before the tears flowed from my eyes. You see, there are those, and this is a reminder of this, and Johnny... Erickson Tata has had to deal with this multiple times. There are those who believe that the redemption of the body was guaranteed along with the redemption of the soul at the same time. That the redemption of the body is meant to take place along with the redemption of the soul in salvation. So that in their view, God's will, if you are a Christian, is that you be healthy, no pain. Because that came, the redemption of your body came along with the redemption of your soul. It should be your experience now as a child of God. And if it isn't, there is some question about your faith, the amount of faith, or even your salvation. 
But what does Paul say about the redemption of the body? He says it is a future hope that has not yet taken place. It is not yet our experience, the redemption of the body. It's going to be. It's our future hope. In that way, yes, it comes with salvation. But that part of salvation is part of the future hope. It will happen. It will be as real as our suffering in the present, in this body. The redemption of our body, the new body that will be ours. So, um, I think Johnny Erickson Tata would say to you, and I would say to you, don't let anyone question your faith, your salvation, the amount of faith you have, because your body isn't functioning right, and you are ill, and you are in pain. The redemption of the body is not yet, but it will be. That's our hope, Paul says. For now, we groan in these bodies because our bodies are impacted by sin. But we have this hope of a future glory that involves the redemption of our body, a new body that... Ryan read about no pain, no death, no tears, no illness. Redemption of the body, our future hope. But you know, sometimes we groan so badly, sometimes we suffer so greatly in these bodies. And it goes on so long that we don't know how to pray anymore. Right? You ever been there? You're experiencing the suffering of the physical body. You're experiencing pain. You're experiencing chronic illness. You're experiencing all this stuff that goes along with a body that's corrupted by sin in the world. And you pray and pray and pray, and pretty soon you get to the place where I don't know how to pray anymore. I've said everything I can think about. I've I've laid my desires out to God. I don't know how to pray anymore. I don't know what to pray. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Let's see what Paul says. In verse 26. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Remember, the Spirit is the helper, right? That's what Jesus said. He's the helper. He's the comforter. He's the counselor. He's the encourager. He is living inside of us as the helper. And so he says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In those times, he goes on to say, we don't know what we ought to pray for. We get to those places. We don't know what to pray for anymore about the pain 
the illness, the whatever's going on. We don't know what to say. We have prayed out. And the beautiful message here about the Holy Spirit is that at those times when we don't know what to pray for, He helps. Paul says the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. He prays for us. The Holy Spirit, friends, is the sufferer's prayer partner. He prays for us when we don't know how to pray. And the context of this passage is the physical body and the suffering that we experience in it as we wait for the redemption of that body, the new body. And he says the Holy Spirit, one of his ministries is to pray for us at those times. And get this, he intercedes for us with groans. So creation is growing, groaning, waiting for that day. We are groaning, waiting for that day when we receive our new bodies. And when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit groans. Everybody's groaning in this passage. Creation, the children of God, and the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's groans, wordless expressions, are on our behalf as he intercedes for us. He prays for us. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it anymore. And the Spirit takes over. And he prays for us with groanings. Friends, Paul is not talking about Christians speaking in tongues here. He's not. Who is interceding? Who is speaking? The Spirit. It's the Spirit that's groaning. And groanings are wordless communications. This is the Holy Spirit praying on our behalf when we suffer and don't know how to pray, don't know what to say anymore. And that wonderful helper God has given us takes over. And he prays on our behalf. And what a benefit. Because verse 27 says, And he who searches our hearts, probably the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit. The Father knows what the Spirit is communicating to him on our behalf. He understands. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Holy Spirit knows God's will. Right? He's God in you. The Holy Spirit knows God's will. He knows God's will for your situation. He knows God's will in all of this suffering. And you can be assured that when he begins to pray for you, as you don't know what to say, he will pray according to God's will. Isn't that good to know? He's our prayer partner. He's the sufferer's prayer partner. When we don't know what to say, he takes over and he prays to the Father according to the Father's will. And what is the Father's will? 
Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's the context of that verse that we refer to a lot. It's a context of physical suffering, groaning, times when we don't know what to say. We don't know what to pray anymore. And the Spirit takes over and he intercedes for us according to God's will. And it says we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That's his response to the Spirit's prayer. And what's the good? Your healing? Pain goes away? Well, maybe sometimes, but a lot of times, no. What's the good? Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's the good. That's the will of God, as it is in anything, that we would be like Jesus, that we would become more like Jesus. Sometimes God intervenes, and by his grace, his choice, he'll heal. Sometimes by his grace, his choice, he'll take the pain away. Uh, You know, he's sovereign. It's up to him. But there are times when he does not. But no matter which it is, it's for our good. Because he knows what that good is. And somehow it's going to make us more like Jesus. And we need to trust that. The Holy Spirit along with all the other things we've talked about in this series, is the sufferer's prayer partner. He intercedes for us. He prays for us. In our times of weakness, when we're suffering physically, and we do not know how to pray anymore. So what are some ways to uh, apply this truth from Romans 8? Well, very quickly, I think number one would be to make sure that you have the helper. Because this will not occur in your life if the Spirit of God is not living in you. And the Spirit of God only lives in those who have trusted Christ for salvation, who belong to him. If you do not know Jesus, this ministry of the Spirit will not be available to you. This is available to those who have trusted Christ for salvation and along with the forgiveness and all the other things, the Spirit of God has been placed in their lives and He is the helper in these times of suffering. He's the sufferer's prayer partner. So the first way to apply this is to make sure you have the helper living in you to do this work. Secondly, Acknowledge your need. It's okay. It's okay to say, I'm, I'm beyond myself. I don't know how to pray anymore. I don't know what to say anymore. I don't understand this. I'm tired of this. I'm worn out. I prayed and prayed and prayed. I, I, I don't know what to say anymore. It's okay to acknowledge that. And then invite the Spirit to help. He's right there. 
He's right there living in you. Invite him to pray for you. Invite him to do this work, to intercede for you in your time of suffering. He knows what to say to God. Then continue your own prayers, by the way. Don't stop praying. You know, Don't say, Spirit of God, I don't know what to say. You need to pray for me. I'm just not going to pray anymore. No, keep praying. Keep talking to God about it. But trust that the Spirit is also interceding for you. And He knows what to say. Trust the promises and the plan of God. Trust His will. Trust that He will work it for good. Christ-likeness. Just trust His promises. There is a future glory. There is future hope. Trust Him. And then make sure you're giving thanks for the Helper. What an advantage we have as Christians to have the Spirit of God living in us who at those times of suffering, when we don't know how to pray, will intercede for us and be our prayer partner. What a benefit. Do not stop thanking Him for the gift that that is. I want to conclude with uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. One of the things that I think about when I try to summarize this passage is that our journey to this future hope, this redemption of our bodies, the new bodies, goes through suffering. Before we experience the future hope of glory, and the new bodies, we live here with this body. And there will probably be suffering. If you haven't experienced it yet, you will. It's like the journey to that future glory that's promised goes through present suffering. That was Jesus' experience. And it's ours. So final words. Second Corinthians 4.16 Therefore, we do not lose heart. Friends, don't lose heart in your suffering. I know it's easy to, to want to quit, to give up. It's easy to start doubting. God's promises. Paul says, don't lose heart. Don't quit. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, not on the suffering, 
but on what is unseen. The future hope, the redemption of our bodies. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. The present suffering, although it seems like it goes on so long, so long, so long, is temporary. The future hope, the future glory, the redemption of our body will be eternal. So fix your eyes on that future hope and don't lose heart. Earlier I said that um, you shouldn't let anyone question your salvation, your faith, the amount of faith, because you're suffering physically and not getting better and not a specimen of perfect health. Don't let them do that. It's not based on truth. But also, don't be doing something yourself that causes people to wonder about your faith and the amount of it. Do not let your suffering, your present suffering, become your God. Because then your faith can be questioned. That's idolatry. Your suffering is not God. Do not let it be God. Do not let it control your life. You have future hope. You have a promise from God. And we eagerly await, just like creation is, the redemption of our body. It will happen. It's our hope. And hope is this tremendous anchor for the soul. Hope will keep us going. It's our anchor. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for these words of the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Father, that uh, we who are suffering in this world, and if we haven't, we will. We all know what it's like to live in these bodies when, when they aren't functioning in a healthy way, when they're hurting, when there's pain, when there's illness, and it goes on and on, and it gets worse and worse. And Father, we know all that stuff. But Lord, help us to remember that we have a future hope given by you to your people, guaranteed by the presence of your Holy Spirit in us. A future hope, the redemption of our bodies. It's well with our souls right now. But Father, we look forward to the day when it is well with our bodies. As you give us that new body that you promised. Keep our hope strong. Help us to fix our eyes and our attention on what is eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.
We have one.